Welcome to the Hey Salespeople podcast, where we focus on delivering immediately actionable best practices for sales professionals. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan from SalesLoft. Hey, salespeople, welcome to the podcast. Today, it is my great pleasure to welcome Dave Munson. Dave is the VP of Direct Sales at Axon. They are a law enforcement technology company. If that sounds a little abstract, they are the company that actually has the Taser brand and used to be called Taser, I believe. Welcome, Dave. Hey, thanks, Jeremy. Glad to be here. Awesome. So since Dave runs in, uh, direct sales there at Axon, we're going to talk a lot about how to run an inside sales team. So we'll cover a lot of ground. It's quarter closed for him as it is for a lot of sales leaders right now. So we'll talk a little bit about that as well. But in order to get to know Dave a little better, Dave, I'm going to ask you two questions. First question is, what is your favorite sales book of all time and why? So you kind of prepped me that this question was going to come. And I thought a lot about it because I am an avid reader. I've got a lot of books and I tried to cover a lot of genres to become a little bit more well-rounded. And I ultimately defaulted back to Simon Sinek's Start With Why. And that wasn't my first sales book. It probably wasn't my 30th sales book. But that's the one that has most impacted who I am today and the way that I approach my career. And I had to anchor myself somewhere. To give you a little bit of a background there, I kind of started my sales career young doing door-to-door sales, and it was for Dish Network. And I realized that I hated that job. And by default, I thought that I hated sales. And I decided that I never wanted to be affiliated with sales of any sort, that the money wasn't worth it, that this is just a grind. And as I was able to find my why, find a product and a company that I could be passionate about, I developed a love for sales because there was a greater purpose behind it. And so Simon Sinek's Start With Why has to be my all-time favorite in really grounding who I am as a sales rep, as a sales manager, as somebody that's affiliated with sales organizations. Yeah, it's a fantastic book. It's also, if you don't want to read the whole book, you can watch his TED Talk, which is pretty amazing too. And he talks about the golden circle there, which I think it has the the how on the outside, the what in the middle ring, then the center ring is why. I actually found as I read the book and I looked at his examples, so many of his examples actually are to what, so that why. That's my go-to. And I even expand that further, like uh, for whom, to what, so that why, by means of how. So if I were to do that for Axon, right, the for whom is for law enforcement professionals, to what, to keep the peace or something like that, you know, so that why, so that communities are safe. And then by means of how, right, that's the various technologies that you guys supply. Yeah, I think one of the unique things about our company is we have such a strong mission statement to protect life. And so absolutely... The for the whom is for law enforcement, and the majority of our business is strictly for law enforcement. We work a little bit with private security, and then we also have a consumer line, but the majority of our business is absolutely for law enforcement. And then the what is is what brings us to work today. It helps us go through kind of the ebbs and flows of sales. It helps us continue to stay passionate in helping officers go home safe at the end of their shift, but also to help society so that we don't have to escalate to the point where we're using deadly force anymore. And then as we shifted from Taser to Axon, a lot of that rebranding was so that we could open up our technological offering into greater technology such as body cameras, dash cameras, evidence management that really helped us open up from just saving life to also protecting truth and transparency in law enforcement. Wow, all super compelling. And I know it's it's deeply relevant to you on a number of levels since you yourself were a police officer. We'll get into that. But I'm going to ask my second question first, and then we'll then we'll transition over. Uh, what's your most interesting or unusual hobby? It's probably not going to be unusual for anybody else. It's also a dad to two young kids. I've got a six-year-old and a two-year-old, and they take up 
any time that I have that I, I would normally try to find another hobby for, I choose to spend that time with my kids so I can continue to develop the time, the relationship with them. Uh, lately, our hobby has been water fights in our backyard. My wife bought a little blow-up pool, and so we've been having water fights in the backyard. But in sales and so many other things, it's so easy to get consumed with goals, with quotas, with fiscal cycles, everything else that I'm trying to find that balance by developing a better relationship with my kids right now. I'm a parent of two adult kids, or not adult kids, but uh, 15 and, or soon to be 16 and 19 year old. So, you know, there's no more water fights, unfortunately. I do miss those days. <laughs> awesome. So, yeah, let's let's kind of get into what it's like to to manage inside sales. But I did want to come back to that that first thing, which was that you yourself were, you know, you were a law enforcement officer in the Scottsdale Police Department. What are the parallels between that and sales? Well, that's an interesting question. I think that the main thing that I find as the parallel is due to who I am and what I'm working for. And I know that Kyle, your CEO, also has a very similar mission that you want to change people's lives. I love the story that he posted on LinkedIn a little while ago about the individual that used sales loft technology and then he was able to get a dog because it freed up his time and he was able to go home and it, it enhanced his personal life. And the parallel to sales and law enforcement, law enforcement is all about protecting society serving society and looking for a greater good outside of who you are personally, sacrificing a lot of personal comforts and health and safety to make sure that society is a better place uh, for our kids. And in sales, I think that if you approach it the way that Simon Sinek has and others, and the way that I try to approach it is I want to be able to approach sales with that why, with that passion, so that I'm contributing to the betterment of society somehow. And it doesn't matter what you're offering, as long as it is something that can improve somebody else's quality of life or quality of business, helping them become more productive, more profitable. We just have to find that benefit that we're offering to somebody by identifying the problem, right? What problems do people have? And then how do we identify a solution, provide a solution to them so that we can improve their quality of life? Yeah, that resonates deeply with me because I have these criteria that I use for where I want to build my career. And one of the criteria is meaning in the work. And over the course of my career, I've tried to figure out how to define that. And I've ultimately come up with a definition that I have to, basically, I would sell it to a friend, a close friend or a loved one and believe I was helping them. And it doesn't have to be, you know, epically life transforming. Great if it is. uh, But as long as I have that belief that I'm doing them good, I'm, I'm in a good place. Yeah, I 100% agree. And I think that's where I really struggled early on in my sales career. The way that I was approaching the door-to-door sales is I thought if somebody else knocked on my mom's door, would I really care about that objection of we just don't have any extra money for that service at this time? And I didn't. I wasn't passionate about selling Dish Network. Uh, But right now I'm super passionate about what I do because I would sell it to my family because I know that this is going to better their life or better their security of their home or whatever the case is. So absolutely, that resonates with me as well. You're in one of the rare industries where you really are saving lives, right? Not all, of, not all of us are saving lives with what we do, but it's quite admirable. Well, I know it's quarter closed for you. So as a sales leader, what are some of the things that you can really, truly do at, at quarter close to actually affect the business? And the reason I ask that is so many of the deals that happen at this point in the quarter are things that have been in the pipeline but I'm wondering what sort of actions you take as a sales leader to you know, drive that successful outcome to the quarter. Yeah, I, I was talking to 
one of my former managers about this a couple of days ago, and we discussed how you don't lose a deal at the end of the quarter, right? You have to establish that foundation for the opportunity at the very beginning of the quarter. And that's going to be creating that shared vision with your customer, whoever you're working with and whatever solution you're going to be providing to them. But you've got to be able to create that shared vision and then backwards engineer that so that you can identify what are the next steps going to be? What are some of the hurdles? Who are the decision makers? Where's the source of funding? Uh, in our world, we're working with government. And so they're very, very stuck to these annual fiscal cycles. And and a lot of our sales cycle is dependent on when those funds are going to become available. And so there's not a lot that we can do at the end of the quarter. So it's all about putting in that grit, that rigor, that structure at the very beginning of the quarter. At the end of the quarter, it's going to be all about making sure that they're owning the forecast as much as possible and making sure that they have all the information for every question that I have. So when I'm going up to them and I'm asking them, where you Salesforce as our CRM? And so we have them log their next step under the opportunity. And I, I'm asking them just very, very detailed questions of what is a next step that's going to be an actionable item? I don't want the next step to be, we'll call next week. I want the next step to be city council will be held on June 25th. After that, I need to contact the city manager to obtain a signature. We just have to get very, very granular at the end of the quarter. I've been reading a book recently that one of our guests recommended. It's called The Sales Manager Survival Guide. Uh, Quite enjoying it. And one of the contentions that the author makes in the book is that sales managers asking for either deal reviews or pipeline reviews every day for the last week or two of the quarter is an unproductive thing. It struck me as a challenge, right, that, that he sort of issued to the readers because I think a lot of sales leaders do that. What are your thoughts about those sort of daily deal reviews or daily pipeline reviews at the end of the quarter? I think that it's necessary because I think that if we don't stay aware of where our deals are and what progress is being had, then a lot of those reps will default to the action items that are easiest to accomplish, or they may not ask the hardest questions, or they may just default into complacency. One of the greatest challenges to success is this inertia, right? So if we just get into the habits of, I'm going to go through my day-to-day, but I'm not going to take on the hardest activities right now, then I'm, I'm not going to be successful. And I see that quarter after quarter after quarter, where if I'm not talking to a rep about where is this deal today and what are the next steps we need to execute on, then they say, oh no, we're good to go. I haven't heard from them for three or four days, but we're still good. And no news is never good news in my mind at the end of a quarter. And so that daily check-in makes sure that their pipeline is staying top of mind with the rep because they know it's top of mind for me. And that additional attention is what is able to drive that activity that's necessary. And so they are much more diligent in having those answers because they know that Dave's going to come around on a daily basis asking me about where we are with each deal. As you're mentioning, even the the inspection itself puts them at the top of their game. Yeah. For better or worse, humans do perform better under stress. Your heart rate goes up, right? Your your brain starts to work faster. Uh, you can't endure that for extremely long periods of time. But you know, a little bit of healthy expectation at the end of the quarter, I think, is, is a reasonable thing. Another thing that I see sales managers and sales leaders do at quarter close is that they want to kind of parachute in and try to accelerate the deal directly with the prospect. I'd love to get your point of view on that practice. Yeah, sometimes at the very end of the deal, we're identifying that we haven't engage all the right decision makers. We may be working with somebody that's a champion or an influencer, but they may not be the ultimate decision maker. And I've always made sure that the reps know that I'm available and willing to jump on a call with them if needed. And sometimes that 
show of my leader is willing to get on the phone with your leader. It's sometimes that last little partnership that goes a long way. So I don't think that we should rely on that to be successful, but I certainly want my reps to know that I am certainly willing to jump in the trenches with them if it's going to help drive that deal at the end of the quarter. Brilliant. Is there anything I didn't ask you about quarter close before transitioning a bit into something you said before, which is that deals are, they're not really won or lost at the end of the quarter. They're won or lost much earlier on. So I'd love to cover some of that or that earlier stuff, but anything else on the close of quarter that I should have asked you? No, it's just stressful. I I would love to hear what other people are doing to kind of manage and mitigate that stress besides going to the gym, trying to eat healthier because it is, it is a grind. One of the things that that I've also noticed with the team is that I'm seeing a couple of them slack off when they've hit quota or they've emptied out their pipeline. It is so absolutely critical that if there are two weeks left, you need to start setting deals up for success beginning of the next quarter, beginning of July, if you're going to be successful then. So it's not going to be that rush at the very end of September in order to close Q3. And I think that we need to have that same mindset, that same intensity level throughout our entire workday. And and you said that it's not sustainable. And I absolutely agree that there is an added pressure, added stress levels to everybody at the end of the quarter that's not sustainable for an entire quarter. It's a constant battle, constant challenge trying to find that balance between sanity and work overload and burnout, but uh, certainly something that I'm having a conversation with the reps so that we can find that balance so they can set themselves up for success. Let's rewind back to the things that actually help you be successful. And I know when you guys, when you and I talked a little bit beforehand, we were talking about some of the struggles in, in hiring. You know, talk to me a little bit about how you source candidates, how you vet candidates. I've come down to three main things that I'm looking for with any candidate, and that's going to be integrity first. You've got to have somebody who's going to make the right decisions. One of the values that we have here at our company is to win right, and you have to hire people that are always going to have that integrity, and we we have to have that first. The second thing is we have to have drive. If you have drive without integrity, that's going to lead your, your company down a bad path. And then the third thing that we need is we need the capability, the aptitude to be able to learn the skill set necessary to accomplish that role. If they have the ability, but they don't have the drive, that's not going to help us be successful either. And so it kind of has to be in those order with integrity, drive, and then aptitude. And so as I'm looking at the reps trying to identify this, it's something that I'm constantly trying to even reevaluate my current team during our one-on-ones. At what point are we missing some of that drive and how do we develop that, right? So as we pull other people in that are raising the bar for the entire team as they see what is possible to develop skill sets to become 1% better every day, I'm hoping that that's going to help lift the entire team. Yeah, those things that you mentioned actually correlate well with academic research on job performance. I do read a decent amount of academic articles and, and there are three big factors that matter that last thing you talked about, which was aptitude or capability, uh, sometimes called general mental ability, IQ, what have you. The second thing is conscientiousness, which I think drive and integrity are facets of conscientiousness. So that one resonates deeply with me and with the academic research. The third thing is the hard skills, right, or technical skills in what they're doing. So sales skills and or business acumen, for example, in this case, in selling to government, that would sort of be the third thing. I do want to go into, though, how you guys actually assess your three things, aptitude, drive, and integrity. So with aptitude, how do you actually assess that in the interview process and the vetting process? 
So we go through a mock sales call. We have several, our interview process is fairly long. We have two phone screens. And then if they pass those first two screens, we pull them on site and they go through a series of one-on-ones with people that are either management or our top reps. And then after that, we do a mock sales call where we give them a high level overview of what a daily sales call might look like. And we say, we we don't really care about the technical expertise. We want to be able to see what your sales process looks like. But we are looking for some of that expertise in our product. We want to see how much research can they do in a limited time where they've got about a week between that phone call and when we're going to be pulling them on site. We want to be able to see how quickly can you learn the product and how easily can you articulate the value proposition of our product coming in the door. So that's how we look at the aptitude. What about for drive and integrity? How do you actually assess those things? So some of the questions that I ask for drive are what goals you set and how you hold yourself accountable to those goals. One of the questions that we ask for external field reps is essentially meant to break down what a quota might look like. If you're given an $8 million quota, how are you going to break that down to granular actionable items? And how are you going to hold yourself accountable to those things so you can succeed? Uh, And then just figure out what they've been able to do in the past. I, I am a firm, firm believer that the past performance is the greatest indicator of future performance. And so I want to be able to dig a little bit deeper into that. Yeah. By the way, that's also well substantiated in the academic research. There's this yep. whole Silicon Valley thing about the people who fail have learned all this stuff uh, that makes them successful. And and some academic researchers actually looked at entrepreneurs who had failed in their in their jobs and whether or not their next ventures were successful. And what they found was that people who failed were no more likely than first time entrepreneurs to be successful. So they there really was no learning that had occurred in that. Whereas people who had succeeded in prior ventures were much more likely to succeed. So I, I completely agree that in sales and in, in entrepreneurship, uh, past performance is is the best indicator of, of future of future success. We talked a little bit about hiring. I'd love to just talk about then what happens when you get people on the door, you know, rep development basically. What are some challenges that you've personally faced in in rep development? With our onboarding, we have and it's an inside sales team and so there's a decent amount of churn on an annual basis uh, just due to the nature of the job. And with our onboarding process, a lot of times it's only one or two individuals that are being hired. And so it's very difficult to have an entire onboarding class where we're pulling in people from around the country that are subject matter experts to give one-on-one or one-on-two product training. And so when we pull people on board, we generally have them sit with the individual reps, and then we'll have a lot of one-on-ones with the managers where we're talking a lot about the product, the pricing, the positioning of the program. And then I just try to get them on the phones as quickly as possible. For the first week, it's going to be a lot of shadowing other top reps so that they can get comfortable with those conversations. But the way that I learn is by doing and sometimes making some mistakes. And so we try to get them on the phone themselves and we'll figure out what segment of the market can we have them learn on, but I do want them to learn by having those conversations so they can actually hear the objections that the agencies are having, uh, the police departments that we're having. And then after that, once we're able to hit whatever that cycle is for our training, we'll send them through the more formal product training. And then it's just that continual reinforcement of the same skill sets, the same values, the same products, positioning, pricing that we do throughout the next several months until they feel comfortable and confident enough to kind of go out on their own. Uh, One of the things that I learned from a guy that I I connected with on LinkedIn, he talked about dedicating a training block on a weekly basis where your team 
they, they put their headsets down and they just focus on skill development on a weekly basis. And so we started incorporating that about three weeks ago, where every Friday afternoon at 2 p.m. for 30 minutes, that's skill development time. And so I want to be able to continue to invest in individuals, not just through the onboarding process, but throughout their entire career, or at least their time on my team, where they know that I care enough about their skill and their career development that we're dedicating a 30-minute block. And I don't want to necessarily make that a prescriptive time where I say, for these 30 minutes, I want you to work on this skill set, but more something where we give them ideas of, these are the three or four things that I would like you to focus on. I want you to do a little bit of introspection, find out where you're going to be able to develop because you understand a little bit more what your skill sets are, and then be able to dedicate that time for development. Yeah, I love the 30-minute Friday development idea. I think it is so important to actually have a degree of structure on that. Otherwise, people are going to just gravitate towards getting coffee, checking yep. email. You had asked about what we do at Sales Loft. We have a set of 12 competencies that we've defined as what highly successful sales professionals need to have. And for each one of those competencies, we'll rate each person every month on a, a four-point scale. And the rubric that we have defines like what a one is and what a four is. It has nothing to do with their compensation, right? Because their compensation is based on quota attainment. Salespeople have a good understanding of where their strengths and their development areas are, and then we can provide them with specific training that helps them. So that might be something you can do that just gives them a little bit of a guide to where they spend their 30-minute blocks is to actually define those competencies and give them that regular monthly scorecard. Absolutely. I love that. And I'm going to talk to my HR department as soon as we get off this call. I think it's a great idea. Yeah, happy to happy to share that one with with you or really anyone. If I, we've got listeners here, so anyone who wants that, if you just direct message me on LinkedIn, I can I can share that competency matrix with you. And then you you and I were chatting a little bit about how inside sellers, and I think this applies to SDRs and BDRs and so on, really want a highly prescriptive path. And this came up for me today, by the way, which was you know you know people want to know what do they need to do to get promoted. Is that kind of what you're encountering? Yeah, that's part of it. But even last week, I was asking people how their training block went on Friday afternoon. And some of them, they said that they had defaulted into, like you talked about, if it's not going to be something that's a structured block, they defaulted into doing other work that was going to be differently productive. And they said, we just want you to tell us what we need to focus on. And I thought, well, if, if you rely on others to be successful, then you're never going to be successful, right? We have to be able to show a certain amount of initiative in our careers. And so I, I continue to try to reinforce that if you want to be successful, you have to identify where that skill set gap is. Look at where you are currently. Look at where you want to go. Identify that gap, right? Keenan has the, the book, uh, The Sales Gap. It's the same concept, but in personal application of identifying what is that gap and what do I need to do to overcome that? And if you need to be able to articulate that a little bit differently, then certainly come to a manager. But I can't necessarily help you create that vision of where you want to go. I can help you try to get there by helping you develop what that path looks like. But I feel like a lot of the tools that we give individuals are here is a concept that we want you to apply in your world, and it's going to help you be successful. And then they take that as a template, and it becomes a call script rather than I need to call and I need to ask the agencies about these four or five different items. All of a sudden, it becomes an interrogation where I'm calling them and I'm asking these five exact questions. I, I would love some feedback on how do you develop them so that they can think outside of the box where you're giving them something more as an idea or more as a tool instead of as a template or a script that they're mandated to follow in order to be successful. Are you guys doing anything at SalesLoft that are helping you be successful there? 
I have a lot of thoughts on this. It was actually came up earlier. I was talking to a rep uh, who I I will role play with the reps with some frequency, and it struck me that this particular rep, who's newer, was kind of missing some uh, some deeper understanding of I'll call it customer business acumen, right? What what is it that the people that we sell to actually struggle with? What's their language? What tech stack do they use? And so on. So I was advising this individual on how to build that type of acumen. I was trying to motivate them. And I said, look, I found that the most successful reps are a student of the sort of art and science of selling. And they're a student of their of their customers. And the art and science thing, right? You just mentioned Keenan's really outstanding book, Gap Selling. The fact that you're able to pull those references out shows me that you are someone who's a student of selling. And I bet you and I could probably talk 10, 15, 20 different sales books because you probably read them all too. Yeah. And and that's why you're in the position you're in. And, and, and I would hope that some of the the younger reps would sort of see that and develop that genuine curiosity. And all that stuff is outside of work time, right? Uh, and then ditto with learning about the people that they're selling to and the, and the struggles that they have. So another thing I've, I've sort of been thinking about is you talked about higher turnover. Are there things that you do to, you know, to mitigate the turnover? Yeah, a lot of our turnover has been development into additional roles. We've had three or four people that have moved to our field team. And so it's not necessarily people that are choosing to leave. Uh, We've had to make a couple hard decisions and choose to help people find their next career path. And then we've had a lot of people that have been promoting into the field as their next role. And so I think that for the most part, we have a pretty passionate group who enjoy working where we are, but just due to the nature of inside sales, not everybody can become an inside sales manager when you have 35 people on your team. And so what I'm trying to do to mitigate that is find what are the interests through some of that that one-on-one questioning of what are you interested in and what do you hope to grow into as your next role? What can I do at this point to give them additional responsibilities that will help develop that skill set? And so is if it's somebody that's interested in growing into a managerial role, is it something where I can assign them to be a mentor to a new hire? Or is it something where I can have somebody become a team lead for a quarter or half of a year to be able to assess how good are they inspiring and holding people accountable to certain metrics? If it's somebody who is looking at going into the field, then I'll meet with them more on a one-on-one basis and start to develop more structured strategic deal strategy and territory strategy plans. So I just tried to identify through very, very similar conversations of what is your next role and then try to build that out where they know that I care about them. They're not just part of this massive team of 35 people. And I know that that's not massive to a lot of sales organizations out there, but it's a decent sized team for us in, in trying to help motivate and inspire 35 individuals can be a challenge at times. I'm a big fan of the five love languages book, right? And just trying to find the application to work. What is it that motivates this individual? Because not everything is going to appeal to five different reps that all want to be growing to the field. They're going to take different time and attention. Different motivating factors are going to help them develop. We'll have to follow up on that. And if people do want to learn more about that or get to know you or learn a little bit about Axon, how, how can they find you? Yeah. So on our website is axon.com. You can find out a lot about our products. I am on LinkedIn, Dave Munson. If you just put me in the Google search with Axon, then there's only one Dave Munson there. So you can certainly find me there as well. Outstanding. Well, thanks so much for being on the podcast, Dave. Jeremy, it's been a pleasure. I just want to give a quick shout out to your entire organization. We've been working with Kenny a little bit, and I am so pleased with the experience that I've received from everybody I've interacted with there and super, super impressed with your technology. So keep up the great work there at SalesLoft. Once again, I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan from SalesLoft. 
Laura Hall is our executive producer. Our artwork is by Greg Klingshern. This episode was edited by Peter Lopinto. Subscribe to us on your favorite app to learn more immediately actionable best practices from our awesome guests. Thanks for listening to the Hey Salespeople podcast.